millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Past, the podcast about those who would never rule. I'm Veronica Fortune, and this week's episode is Charles de Bourbon, Cardinal de Bourbon. The sometime Charles X. Welcome back. This week, we're going to look at the cardinal who was almost a king. Those of you who know your French kings will know that the actual, as in the real Charles X, ruled from 1824 to 1830. And like his six times great uncle, the subject of this episode, the real Charles X was a traditionalist. I think that's the right thing to call these men. Both of these Charles were unsuccessful. Though one did manage to actually rule, the other, well, I should get into his story. Much like many minor players in history, Cardinal de Bourbon doesn't have his own biography. Thankfully, he is a rather important minor player, and in the background of almost everyone else's story. His name has popped up a lot in my earlier reading. For this subject, I'll be using the biography of Henri II by Frederick J. Bumgartner. Yes, he of St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. The biography of Jean d'Albray, Queen of Navarre, by Nancy Rolker, along with all the books I've used previously in this miniseries and a few journal articles. With those journal articles, I'll include links to them at JSTOR in the show notes. You'll find when you search for this week's subject online, there will be tens of posts about artwork. There is a beautifully illuminated book of hours attributed to an artist in his employ, showing on Christie's that sold for $200,000 US, which is, is nice. It's quite lovely, and I'll include that link so you can have a look at it. Cardinal de Bourbon, which I'll be calling him to distinguish him from the... <laughs> rather massive number of other Charleses in this episode, was the eighth child and fifth son of Charles of Vendôme. See, I've already got one Charles in there. Who was also the father of Antoine de Bourbon. He was born on the 22nd of September, 1523. And by the time of his birth, he only had four older brothers, Antoine, Francois, and Louis. Though Louis would die one year after Cardinal de Bourbon's birth. And yes, I'm picturing a little one-year-old in a cardinal's outfit, which, based on the Catholic Church at the time, isn't that much of a stretch. There is a reason this whole Reformation thing is occurring. Cardinal de Bourbon would be joined by five further siblings who all survived to adulthood, including two further brothers, Jean and Louis. A again, a Louis. 
and that Louis is better known as Prince Condé, Mark I. I should also mention another branch of his family, going one generation further back. His aunt was Antoinette de Bourbon, the Duchess de Guise. This means that he was a first cousin of the initial Duke de Guise. Now, Cardinal de Bourbon's claim to the throne should be discussed before moving on too far with his story, since I think that this is quite important. He had two surviving older brothers and two surviving younger brothers, so there should have been plenty of other options for the French people, right? Well, we already know that his oldest surviving brother, Antoine, is the father of Henri III of Navarre, and eventually the fourth of France, and that Antoine was a facilitating Protestant. His next older brother, Francois, survived to adulthood but died unmarried at 26, removing that possibility. There is little information about this brother, but he was active in the reign of Francis I and appears to have been Catholic in nature. So had he not died, he likely would have been the favored choice. Cardinal de Bourbon's younger brother, Jean, died at 29 or 31. We know the date keeping wasn't the best. He was married, in the least surprising news, to his first cousin, but they had no children. And that leaves Cardinal de Bourbon's youngest surviving brother, Prince Condé. As you should all remember, Condé was a radical Protestant. His oldest son, whom I called Prince Condé as well, because that's what he was called, was also a radical Protestant. The son of the second Prince Condé was raised a Catholic after the ascension of his cousin, Henry IV, but he was only a baby when Cardinal de Bourbon died. The eldest Prince Condé had three further sons, Francis, Charles, and Charles, and I am not joking with you there about the names. Francis appears to have set out most of the religious troubles until the young Duc de Guise forced his hand, and he stood with the future Henri IV. The elder Charles was a cardinal, who would eventually be known as Cardinal de Vendôme or Cardinal de Bourbon, and he was obviously Catholic, <laughs> and was actually a candidate for the throne, though not a serious one. The younger Charles, who I'll call Charles Soissons, when he comes up, actually joined the Catholic League, at least early in their existence, but actually fought on behalf of Henri of Navarre, making him completely unsuited for the Catholic League in the long run, though he was Catholic. So, had Cardinal de Bourbon been successful at properly gaining the throne of France, his heir would have been his cardinal nephew which honestly isn't the best line of succession. It's looking a bit shaky at that point. With that hamstring, let's look at his life before he became a leading-ish candidate for the French throne. Cardinal de Bourbon becoming a priest and eventually a cardinal is unsurprising. He was a third son, and a quick glance at the French aristocracy shows that second or third surviving sons of noble families were basically gifted to the church. This makes a lot of sense. They often wouldn't be needed to take over the family holdings, and their only other option was to become a military leader. This also made the upper echelons of the church useful. These men would be educated and practiced in courtly etiquette and protocol. They were also, as everyone else was, related to the magnates of the kingdom. 
I can't find much on his childhood. Being a third son means there's less detail than other magnates. I should note with interest that in 1553, he became one of the godfathers to Henri of Navarre, the future Henri IV of France. His nephew, an eventual jailer, will get there. Interestingly, I found a note in Jean of Navarre's biography that he once won four livres in a game of darts with Antoine, his brother and Jean's husband and an earlier subject. Prior to becoming cardinal, which happened in 1548, when he was 25, so a reasonable age, Cardinal de Bourbon had been the Bishop of Nevers from 1540 to 1546, and the Bishop of Saint from 1554 to 1550. And he was only 17 when he was appointed the, to that first bishopric. After becoming a cardinal, he was also the Bishop of Carcassonne from 1550 to 1553, and then again from 1565 to 67, and the Bishop of Bouvet from 1569 to 1575. Oh, and most importantly, he was the Archbishop of Rouen from 1550 until 1590. Heard those dates? Because this occurred during the time of the Protestant Reformation, I should mention that this practice, that of holding multiple ecclesiastical offices or benefices, is called pluralism. And Martin Luther was not impressed. John Calvin, less so. The latter's organizational planning for what formed the basis of Calvinism in France would prevent this from happening among the Huguenots. As a strike against the church and in favor of the Protestants on this is that this had actually been outlawed by the Lateran Council in 1215. But as with marrying one's cousin, papal dispensation was available. For Cardinal de Bourbon to hold this massive number of benefices, the Pope had to approve. Even though due to political jostling, the French king got to appoint these, the, the Pope could have put a stop to it. While most living at the time, and specifically in his class, wouldn't have noticed or even cared, it is worth noting when thinking about this specific time period. Due to his social standing, Cardinal de Bourbon spent very little time at his bishoprics. Most of his time would have been spent at courts, starting towards the end of Francis I's reign and into the reign of Henri II. Oh, Cardinal de Bourbon, like others who held multiple benefices, would pay a lower-ranking priest to carry out his ecclesiastical functions. This is just what was expected at the time. Cardinal de Bourbon played an important role in Henri II's court, and Henri's ongoing issues with Charles V of Spain and the Pope brought him into further prominence. On the 5th of August, 1551, Cardinal de Bourbon was elected to be the patriarch of the French church until the Catholic church was defeated by the French. Yes, this is very confusing. The Pope and Henri II had been having an ongoing philosophical disagreement regarding a certain clause in the Concordant of Bologna. In case you're curious, it had to do with France's sovereignty over Savoy and Piedmont and how bishops were appointed there by the French king or the Pope. Remember, the French king appoints these in France. Cardinal de Bourbon actually argued against this appointment. Like all traditionalists, he wanted to keep the church as united as possible. The king and the pope began to make up 
by September. Henri II signed an alliance with various German princes in January 1552 against Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor. Catherine de' Medici was appointed Henri II's regent in 1552 when he was fighting these Italian wars. While regent in name, she had a council to answer to. Catherine did order Cardinal de Bourbon to arrest various preachers who were preaching against the treaty with the Germanic kingdoms. These priests had an issue being in league with heretics. I can't find out what the cardinal thought of this, but based on his later decisions, i.e. being a devout Catholic, I think he wouldn't have enjoyed complying with the Queen's demands. In April of 1557, Cardinal de Bourbon, along with Cardinal de Châtillon and Cardinal de Lorraine, who is a Guise, were appointed Grand Inquisitors by Pope Paul IV at the request of Henri II. No one expects the French Inquisition? Funny story! Châtillon had shown Protestant sympathies and would eventually convert. So no one really expects the Inquisitors to be secret Protestants? From a political perspective, forcing a suspected heretic to become a public heretic or risk torturing those he agrees with is brilliant. It's more likely that these were the three cardinals who were in court and therefore the ones the Pope would expect could get support from Henri II, as in the Pope was used to seeing their names in the documents he received from the French king. In actuality, Cardinal de Lorraine was the primary leader of this inquisition. And yet again, let me remind you that he was the brother of the first Duke de Guise, an uncle of Mary, Queen of Scots, and he is also Cardinal de Bourbon's first cousin. This inquisition was nothing when compared with the earlier Spanish or even the earlier French inquisitions. Yes, there are a few inquisitions. Because this later inquisition was worried about the spread of the Huguenot heresy, it was actually focused on priests and clergy over the general public, or, you know, women accused of witchcraft, Jews and Muslims in Spain, all of those people just living their lives. There were smaller inquisitions in the Parlement that examined the laity, which, if you remember, makes sense due to Paris's extreme Catholic leaning. Due to Henri II's preferences, the religious inquisition was hardly used, and he actually preferred secular persecution of Huguenots. In April 1559, Henri II signed the Treaty of Cateau-Cambriès, which was really two treaties, one signed between Elizabeth I of England and Henri, and the second signed between Philip II of Spain and Henri. Philip II has now taken over from his father. Cardinal de Bourbon wasn't involved with this treaty in any big way. It was the Cardinal de Lorraine that was. Henri returned to France in a great mood, and he wanted to celebrate. Like men in this age, he decided to celebrate with a tournament. And on the 30th of June, 1559, Henri II was hit while jousting through the eye. He lived until the 10th of July in what I can only imagine was a great deal of pain. Henri's death would cause an adjustment to Cardinal de Bourbon's position within the kingdom. While he would remain an important member of the royal and religious apparatus, he was no longer the first holy man called. And you may remember why. The new king was Francis II, and he looked to his wife, Mary, Queen of Scots, uncles, the Guise family, 
for advice and support and this elevated in Cardinal de Lorraine. And after this message, you'll hear more. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, I've discussed these uncles before, but quickly, yet again, they were Charles, Cardinal de Lorraine, and Francois, Duke de Guise. In addition to being the uncles-in-law of the king, they were also the cousins of Cardinal de Bourbon. His father was the older brother of their mother. I don't want to go through the whole family tree, but the Duke de Guise was married to Anne de Este, a granddaughter of Louis XII. This marriage will give Francois's son, Henri, Duke de Guise, upon his father's death in 1563, rather minor claim to the French throne and I will discuss this claim in a few minutes but just keep it in your mind for now. While the Guise were in control, Cardinal de Bourbon was still important and helpful especially to Catherine de Medici, the Dowager Queen. You'll remember from Antoine de Bourbon's episode, the Amboise Conspiracy in March 1560. Prince Condé, Antoine, and Cardinal de Bourbon's younger brother had acted as a figurehead of the kidnapping plot against Francis II with the aim of removing the young king from his evil counselors. You know, his uncles-in-law. And it was Cardinal de Bourbon who was asked by Francis II, or better said, his mother, Catherine de Medici, to bring Antoine and Prince Condé back to court following this conspiracy. He was able to convince his brothers to return to court. As you'll remember, Condé was arrested, but the timing of his trial was in his favor. Francis II died not long after his trial, and Catherine de Medici was able to arrange his release. Remember, she's all about the politiquing. Francis II was succeeded by his much younger brother, Charles IX. I know I've mentioned this in the last episode, but it's important enough to repeat. The Massacre of Vassy, which occurred in March 1562, is usually seen as the start of the wars of religion. For this era of the war, and almost until the very end, Cardinal de Bourbon would be classified as a politique, not a leaguer. Remember, the League wasn't even first formed until 1576, and that itineration only lasted a year. After that, it wasn't until 1584 that there was properly a National League again. There were just the local Catholic confraternities, and then, of course, the Paris Parlement and the University of Paris, which, as I think I've shown and discussed and read, were traditionalist Catholic to the point of being hardline. 
Between the first and second itineration of the Catholic League, Cardinal de Bourbon was a seemingly very minor part of the political apparatus. Remember, his brothers Antoine de Bourbon and Prince Condé died in 1562 and 69 respectively, and his nephews, Henri of Navarre and Henri Prince Condé, were rather young and under the protection of Admiral Coligny when in France. You should remember him from the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. With his brothers gone, Cardinal de Bourbon could focus on his wine cellar. As Baumgartner says, he had a, quote, reputation of being more interested in wine cellars than politics, end quote. And Baumgartner further states that he was not outstanding as a churchman or a politician. Cardinal de Bourbon did act as the guardian for his youngest nephew, Charles, Count of Soissons, the elder Prince Condé's youngest son, so the younger Charles that wasn't a cardinal. In fact, had Charles IX, who ruled from 1560 to 1574, managed to produce legitimate male issue, Cardinal de Bourbon may have just become an obscure cardinal whose name pops up in other people's biographies. Instead, Charles IX only had a daughter and was succeeded by his younger brother, Henri as Henri III. Henri's heir was his younger brother, Urkel Francis. Like both of his older brothers, Henri didn't have a son, or in his case, any legitimate children. At the time of his brother's ascension in 1574, Urkel Francis was only 19, and Henri III himself was only 23. They both had plenty of time to produce sons, but just like the sons of Philip IV, they never did. As long as both brothers were alive, the Catholic leaders of France were okay following the royal family. But on the 10th of June, 1584, that changed. That's the day Urkel Francis died, likely of malaria. At this point, Henri III had been married to his wife for almost nine years without any children between them. Urkel Francis's death meant that the new heir, according to Salic law, was Henri of Navarre. I've mentioned this so many times. I'm sure you're all bored of hearing it, but just in case you're a new listener. Now, as far as I can tell, Henri of Navarre was actually, at the time, a, a great guy. He was well-educated, the King of Navarre, a small kingdom in the Pyrenees between France and Spain that, I've, that I have spoken of many times. He was the brother-in-law of Henri III of France through his marriage to Marguerite of France, and seemingly well-liked as, as a person and especially by Protestants. Yes, due to his religion, he was completely unacceptable to the Catholic majority of most of France and especially to the Catholic traditionalists in Paris. So who could they pick instead of the heretic? And this is where Cardinal de Bourbon becomes truly important. Some gossip for you quickly. Apparently, Cardinal de Bourbon had been talking about being the heir before Urkel Francis's death, which I think is a little scandalous. I'll be relying on Bumpgarner a bit for this next bit. His essay, The Case for Charles X, is a great resource in addition to his book, Radical Reactionaries. The essay is used within the book with some modifications, but I know some of you will have an easier time accessing journal articles than a book or vice versa, so I want to make sure to mention both one more time. According to his research, it appears that the Catholic League, who reformed in 1584, wanted Cardinal de Bourbon to be king because he was older, 
61 at this point, which in this time period wasn't as young as it is today. He was easily manageable and, quote, could be easily persuaded to name Guise or the daughter of Philip II of Spain as his heir, end quote. Bumgarner lists Miriam Yardini as his source, but the work he looked at is only available in French, so I haven't been able to examine it, but I am really in favor of his research. It's quite good. Now, the name Guise should be familiar since I've mentioned at least two thus far in this episode, and I've discussed at least four in previous episodes. This Guise is Henri Duc de Guise, the son of the Duc de Guise mentioned specifically earlier in this episode. Henri de Guise's mother was a French princess. Through her, he was descended from Louis XI. It appears that the Catholic League wanted Henri de Guise to be king, and the easiest way to make that happen was to make a churchman king. Those who have listened to the Capetian Miracle Inns may see how this could happen as a thought experiment. Hugh Capet's claim to the throne was... Well, he was the most powerful noble in the French kingdom and was able to maneuver himself into being elected into the role. This might be what the Catholic League was trying to do. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter who should be king. It matters who is respected as king. Philip V did this when he usurped his niece, Joan II of Navarre. Henri de Guise had a royal ancestor. He was a powerful military and political leader, and he was 33 at this point. He was, he was Catholic, and he had three sons. Cardinal de Bourbon was a great person to just pass things on to him. So what happened to Cardinal de Bourbon after he was put forward as an heir to the French throne? Well, for the first time in his life, it seems he was rather active politically. I am sure his wine collection suffered, which is, is sad. There were a lot of pamphlets written by Catholics declaring him their choice as heir to Henri of France. There were pamphlets written by the politiques declaring that Henri of Navarre just needed to renounce his religion and then he should be the heir to Henri of France. Remember, that makes him a recalcitrant Catholic times two. <laughs> and there were pamphlets released by the Huguenots to try to spread their religious message. Pamphlets were really the thing then. Really, honestly, maybe we should just get rid of Twitter, I will not call it its other name, and bring back pamphlets. Due to his custody of his nephew, Charles Count Soissons, the younger Charles, was also active with his uncle. I bring up Soissons because he would have appeared to have been a great heir for Cardinal de Bourbon, but he ended up defecting to Henri of Navarre's side and actually served in his cousin's eventual government. Some more scandal. Soissons may have had an affair with Henri of Navarre's sister, Catherine, and was secretly engaged to her at one point. I, I do love this family scandal stuff. Henri of Navarre even banned them from seeing each other. Catherine did assure her brother that she had no plans to run away with their cousin, and he threatened to jail her if she did. Both Catherine and Soissons married other people. And thank you for letting me share the family gossip. Back to Cardinal de Bourbon. It appears that even though he was active within the League, he wasn't writing or reading pamphlets. He was attending meetings, but not taking notes, so to speak. In December 1588, things went pear-shaped for the Catholic League and the Guise faction, which I've learned should be called Guisard. Yeah, Guisard. At the end of that month, 
Henri of France decided to take care of his Guisard problem and assassinated the Duc de Guise and his brother, for which Henri would be posthumously excommunicated. At the same time he was executing this assassination, Henri of France put Cardinal de Bourbon into jail. And Cardinal de Bourbon sat in jail. He sat in jail while Henri of France was assassinated on the 1st of August, 1589. When this happened, the League declared him the King of France. They couldn't crown him, though, because he was literally in jail and they couldn't get to him, which puts a bit of a spanner in the works of their plans to maintain a Catholic king. Despite this, it appears that coins were minted with his likeness on him, which I think is pretty cool. Henri of Navarre took over the imprisonment of his uncle not long after Henri of France's assassination. Just days after Henri of France's assassination, Charles, the Duke of Mayon, the brother of the assassinated Duc de Guise and Cardinal de Guise, took over the military leadership of the League. He declared himself the Lieutenant General of France as Cardinal de Bourbon's representative. It's kind of a government in exile with the head of the government in jail. At this point, there were two courts in France, the League Court based in Paris and the Royalist Court based in Tours. The Paris Parliament, with leaguer backing, told the people of France they should recognize Cardinal de Bourbon as their king in November 1589. They also called for the estates to assemble. I haven't discussed this in detail, but only the king can call the estates, so they were calling it in Cardinal de Bourbon's name. Other league-controlled Parliament announced Cardinal de Bourbon as their king. While Paris, league-held Parliament, the University of Paris and many Catholics were in favor of Cardinal de Bourbon. Henri of Navarre was doing a great job on the military front. His progress was slow, but he was hampered due to having been excommunicated. Really, it's excommunications all around. He will have a bit of an uphill struggle. But then, in May 1590, Cardinal de Bourbon died, which knocked the wind out of the league. The University of Paris had been discussing Cardinal de Bourbon's health just days before his passing. It's likely he was of ill health and that this was known by most of the leadership in France on both sides. Apparently, Cardinal de Bourbon's last words spoke of his nephew, Henri of Navarre, as the King of France. He claimed that he had been trying to protect the Bourbon family's rights to the throne. I don't know if this is true or not, but it is a sweet thought. This uncle, who had rather different views from his powerful and memorable brothers, was just looking out for his nephew's claims. Right? So, would Cardinal de Bourbon have been a better king than the king who ruled instead? I think we all know the answer to that. Henri of Navarre, as Henri IV of France, would become one of the great kings of French history and would earn the sobriquet, the great. If you remember from last week, he would calm the French religious issues, convert to Catholicism to stop the religious wars, but also protect the rights of his Protestant subjects to practice their faith. I think Cardinal de Bourbon was a best bad choice for the League. They seemed to truly want one from the House of Guise to rule, but in the end, Henri of Navarre lived the longest. I might actually do an episode of Henri of Navarre if anyone is interested. Just let me know and I'll think about it. He is actually one of my longtime favorite historical people. 
I don't think he's perfect by any measure, but I think his personal sacrifice to protect his country from ongoing war is impressive. And I, I think it's great that Cardinal de Bourbon supposedly wanted to protect him in the end. We're currently on school holidays in Australia, so I will be taking a few weeks off since my daughter is on school holidays and I need to hang out with her. She's being really good right now while I'm recording this, so everyone, thank you to her. I will be back at the end of January, so in about five weeks, with Isabella Clara Eugenia. I want to have a look at the Spanish role in the wars of religion with this and to discuss how Isabella's rule might have gone. Just a reminder to check out the YouTube channel. And if you are looking for books to spend your Christmas money on, please consider using my bookshop.org link. It helps fund this channel and my work to cover the people that most of us don't know about. I will see you all soon. Happy New Year. And Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to Past. I can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PastPod. That's P-A-S-S-E-D-P-O-D. Please feel free to email me at pastpod at gmail.com. I have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com forward slash pastpod.